Well, if you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to two passages, Proverbs chapter 18 and John chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 18 and John chapter 12. Last week, I started a series called Words Matter. And uh, this is a really uh, important subject that God's been speaking to us about. If you didn't get the chance to hear last week's message, you can go to calvary.online and listen to it, or you can subscribe to our podcast and listen to it there. Last week, I spoke a message called The Manifested Word, and there we began to understand that Jesus is God's manifested word, that, that, that Jesus was with God in the beginning, and he is God now. The Word is God, and the Word has a name. His name is Jesus, and there's a lot that's there. If, you don't, if you've never uh, uh, heard anything about Christ and, and, and really a revelation of who he is and really how many organizations are making him out to be less than what he is, you need to go and listen to that message. Also, there's something very profound called the, t- the sin of the ten spies. If you ever get a revelation that the sin of the ten spies wasn't that they, they came back with a bad report, it's that they came back with an accurate report. It was just speaking the truth and not adding to it what God wanted to do. And so there's a powerful revelation there for us that we're not to only say what we see, but we are to say what we see God wanting to do. It's a powerful revelation, so go and listen to that message. But today, we're going to start to step into how this applies to us personally. How our words, uh, uh, God intends to use them in a powerful and profound way. Um, this series, in many ways, is a response. I, I see many people within the church who are born again. They know heaven's their home. They, they, they could sing the songs. They're probably uh, uh, pretty good people. But what I see within the church overall is a growing dissatisfaction. It's a dissatisfaction with where they are. There's not a lot of contentment. And I begin to ask the Lord, Lord, what is this connected to? And the Lord spoke, these, uh, spoke to me out of Proverbs chapter 18, which we'll read to you now. Starting in verse 20, it says this. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth, and the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Uh, The Lord began to speak to me this truth. He says, the reason why so many people are dissatisfied, it's not because of their circumstances. It's because of what they are saying about their circumstances. It's how they're processing and how they are then aligning their mouths with either what Satan is doing in their life and just saying that, or they're aligning their mouth with what I am saying over their life, and then they're satisfied. Then they're contented. So I begin to see that God actually wants to change the way that we speak. But how do we legitimately get into that place where we are the people who know that words have power, that power of life and death are in the tongue? We know that, but, but and we want to be the people that love the fruit of, of those words. We want to be that, but how do we get there? And, and God began to show me that Christ 
modeled this for us all throughout the Gospels. As I begin to pour myself into the Gospels and begin to read uh, there, I begin to see over and over and over again a pattern. A pattern which you and I can apply to our walk with God. My prayer for you today isn't that you would just simply collect information and say, hey, pastor, that was a great message. Today, I'm praying that you would be edified. Edified means to build up, to be strengthened in your walk with God, to leave here with an activation. Say, I am going to leave here and implement something in my life which is going to lead to a greater level of contentment and satisfaction as I walk out God's purposes in my life. And we can find it in God's word. And it's revelatory. In John chapter 12, verses 44 through 50, there's something very profound which I believe uh, just, just unfolds to us how important words are. Today I want to speak to you a message called hearing, understanding, and speaking. Hearing, understanding, and speaking. Verse 44 begins this way. It says, then Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world. That whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge them. For I did not come to the world to, to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority. But the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. This is an incredible uh, statement Jesus makes in a time where he is being drilled uh, by those who are in religious control, the Pharisees of his day. They're saying, hey, why don't you clearly say who you are? Why don't you tell us? And he says, I have been telling you. And he's saying, hey, you need to believe my words. My words carry an authority. And he says, the one that you say you belong to, the, the father, he is the one who is speaking to me his son he is the one who is who is actually orchestrating all of this he goes I'm not judging you but the authority that rests on the words that he spoke that now I'm saying will judge you in the last day and so this is a powerful powerful moment but Jesus begins to say things that cause me to pause he says things like, God, you're speaking to me. God, your words are eternal life. Father, your words are eternal life. And then he makes this bold statement of, I speak what I've heard. That's what I speak. And today I want to speak three very simple ideas to you about why words matter and why especially God's words on our lips and hearts 
matter. First thing that we need to carry away from John chapter 12 is this. God's words are meant to be heard. These are very simple. You could, you could say, okay, yes, that's, that's true. God's words are meant to be heard. That's not very profound. But notice this, John 12, 49, it says, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. By the way, I don't want you to approach this passage only from a theological perspective, but we need to approach this from a relational perspective between a father and a son. Anybody ever have a conversation with their kids? And you're wondering if they heard you? Hey, clean up your room. Hour later, you go back and check. Maybe they didn't hear me. Probably not. Hey, look them right in the eye. Clean up your room. Now you know they heard. Sometimes there's a little bit of a disconnect there, and maybe their idea of what you're meaning by clean up your room is throw your clothes on the floor. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know what they hear whenever you're speaking, but you have to understand that as we're, we're going through life, what we're longing to do with our sons and daughters in the natural is develop a relationship. We simply want to have that real conversation with them. That, that moves beyond just the do this and don't do that. Your hope for your sons and daughters, probably it's much like me. It's like that I could pour everything that the Lord has taught me, that I have learned through life, and I could pour it into my sons and daughters. Why? Because I want them to run faster and farther and do greater things than I have ever done. Uh, today, my oldest daughter is leading worship in a giant church in Orlando, and I told her yesterday, I said, man, your congregations are bigger than mine. I was like, come on, that's, that's what I want. I want to see God using you and God moving through you. And, and that's the idea here is that this is a relational moment and the father is speaking to his son. The words in John 12, it says, he gave me a command. A couple of years ago, I was on a, uh, uh, on a retreat, and I said, Lord, show me what that looked like. I don't want to see the scene of where you were sharing what you heard. Take me back to the moment where you heard. And the Lord led me back to Matthew chapter 6. From the Sermon on the Mount and the words that he announced, he said, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Jesus, in this moment, before he's speaking loudly to the religious leaders of the day, had a moment where he went into his private place, 
And he got before the father and he said this, Father, what are you saying? What are you saying? He said, and then when I was listening to what he was saying, I got my instruction. Father, what are you saying? This is why your personal time with God matters immensely. Not so you can just simply go before the Lord with your petition. Not so you can simply go, God, I need, I need, I need, amen. But that you could simply pause and say, God, I want to talk about what you're talking about. I want to hear what you are saying and expressing. That happens uh, in multiple ways, but when you go into your private time, you take God's word and you read it. And by the way, I'm all for reading the Bible in a year and, and us you know, reading lots of scripture. But I just want to tell you for me personally that when I'm reading God's word and something leaps off the page and begins to speak and minister to me, I stop. I don't keep going. I don't, I don't think to myself, wow, that was really tweetable. Let me post that. I think, God, I want you to drive this down deep into my heart and to my soul. Anybody ever have a quiet time, uh, you know, before the Lord, you're doing a devotional, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, you're like, oh, wow, that was, that was really good, God, thank you so much. And then you're out and about, and you run into somebody, and, and that, that somebody is dealing with a problem that you just read about that morning. And you think to yourself, they're going to think I'm amazing. <laughs> and truth be told, you got before the Lord and you found out what he was saying. And you're like, oh, thank you, God. And then all you do is say what he's saying. I think most of us want to be the kinds of people whose words carry weight. When God uh, 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 established the prophets in the land of Israel, he did it first in a man named Samuel. And the testimony of Samuel is this. It says that, that none of his words fell to the ground. I looked it up in the Hebrew and, the, and those words were actually means this. Even his common words. We're powerful. Can you imagine? He comes in, says to his wife, what's for dinner? And she's like, oh, I felt that. <laughs> that was awesome. It wasn't, it wasn't so much that the words themselves were making some deep, penetrating mark on the psyche of the person. It was that there was a power that was resting on him. And so it wasn't just the meaning behind the words. It was that God was anointing every word because everything he was saying was glorifying God. And where does that come from? That comes out of the secret place. That comes out of getting down before the Lord and saying, God, I don't want my words to fall to the ground today. 
And Lord, if my list isn't on your lips today, I'm okay with that. I want you to say to me what you're saying. Because it could be that your list today, for me, is actually someone else's list. And if you and I want to be the kind of people that would step into real purpose and know that all of a sudden we are walking with the Spirit, our words have to align with what God is saying. And it starts by hearing. The greatest obstacle I fear for most people in the church and probably the most pronounced obstacle, meaning that people say it often, is that I can't hear God. Well, why is that? Why is it that we, we, we can't hear God? It could be that there's some things that are cluttering up that communication. Our spirit-controlled speech is to be filled with this, a pause-then-speak approach. It's a pause, then speak approach. Instead of just saying, man, she is such a witch. How about we say, Lord, what are you saying about her? What are you saying about my boss? Lord, what are you saying about this school? Lord, what are you saying about this region? What are you saying about this nation? And I'm telling you that when you get into that place, you begin to hear something that is beyond what you can see. It's be, it, it goes into the realm of what God sees. And when you, when you get there and you say, God, I, I see a lot of stuff in this nation that deserves judgment, you begin to hear things like, I'm going to bring an awakening to her this, this place again. You're going to see your sons and daughters saved in schools. You're going to have revivals and regions that God's going to touch people from the White House to the outhouse. He's going to touch people everywhere. You get into the private place, you'll start hearing what God is is saying, but you've got to pause and listen. We have way too many people who are simply saying what they think instead of what God is saying, and it's got us into a mess, and most people are in the church are dissatisfied because their mouths don't align with God's heart because what they're saying is aligned with what God is saying and what they're hearing. Second thing is this, God's words are meant to be understood. Jesus said, the father gives me a command, then he goes on to say, and I know his command is everlasting life. Here's, here's what he said. This, this is not what he said. He's not saying his spoken command to me was everlasting life. That's not what he said. He said the understanding of God's command is eternal life. For me, I have five children, so a lot of the, the illustrations and the things that I begin to understand God's word from the frame of references is from family. And when you raise five kids and, and you know you say things like, hey, don't touch that, you'll burn yourself, immediately what you should do is then go and walk for the burn cream. 
go and get the ice. You don't wait. You don't wait. You don't wait. Just go and get it because... <laughs> and uh, why? Because, you know, mom and dad are just trying to keep me from having fun. I like to touch red things. But really what we were trying to do is give them some, some things that would help them live a little longer. There's understanding behind the command. A great illustration of understanding behind the command would be like this. God gives an implicit command. I'll bring one up. I'm not afraid to open the box here. Of sexual immorality. He says, flee. Run from sexual immorality. Run. Don't try to embrace it. Don't try to, you know, get, put a theology around it. He says, run. Run. Now, the opinion of some people is, oh, is God trying to rob me of some kind of fun? No, God is actually trying to get life into the area of your relationships. And I say relationships plural because sexual immorality destroys your earthly relationships, but it also destroys the heavenly one. Isaiah 59 says, says it this way, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. God doesn't want sin to separate you, and sin leads you to a place of isolation where you don't go seeking out a holy God. You go seeking out just whatever kind of life you can create on your own. And here's what you need to understand. That kind of life is not eternal life. God did not give you a command to avoid sexual, sexual immorality to keep you from having fun. He did it because he wants the relationships in your life to flourish. All of them, including yours, with him. The greatest illustration of understanding the heart of God from the Old Testament, I think, comes from Numbers chapter 16. There was a time when the people were complaining against Moses and Aaron. And in their complaining, um, they're, they're, they're talking about their priestly duties. God just basically says, and I'm summarizing, this is Pastor Otis' version, get out, of my, get out of my way, Moses and Aaron. I'm killing all of them. And a plague gets released on the people. And they start to drop dead. And then Moses, without having to call a prayer meeting, looks at Aaron, the high priest, and he says, get a censer, this container. Fill, the, fill this censer with incense, which symbolic of prayer and intercession. Take a coal from the altar, the fire of God, and put it together. And then he says this, run. 
Run and get between the plague and the people. So Aaron does it. He goes and gets the incense and fills up the censer and he puts, puts the coal there and the smoke begins to flow. And Aaron runs. He runs till the plague is here and the people are here. And he stands in this moment of intercession and the plague stops. Why, why, why? Why did it stop? Because Moses understood the commandment of God. That Moses knew that the heart of God was not to judge all of his people, that he wanted to release mercy. He wanted to release his grace. So without a prayer meeting, Aaron goes and intercedes. And literally, it's crying out, Lord, stop this plague And the plague is stopped. Why? Why does Moses know to do that? Because he had been with God in the secret place and he knew his heart. See, many times we don't think like God thinks. God says, man, this is deserving of judgment. But what is he looking for? He's looking for a person with understanding. He's looking for a person who understands that God's commands are attached to eternal life. That when God gives a command, it's because he wants you to live and then ultimately live with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. He wants you to know his heart behind his word. And his heart is simply this. He loves you. And when sin separated mankind from him, he said, man will never ever be able to lift this heavy debt from themselves, so I myself will be clothed in skin. I will come down and become obedient to death, even death on the cross, to pay a ransom, to pay a price that they cannot pay on their own. This is the heart of God. All sin must be judged, but then God steps in and says, I'll take the judgment. That's the heart of God. So God's words must be understood. You've got to know God's heart behind his command. And then third, why words matter? God's words have got to be spoken. God's words have got to be spoken as we see in John 12 here. It says, and I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Jesus modeled for us in this moment what we are to do as believers. We are to hear what God is saying. We are to understand it in light of his heart. And we are to speak We are to hear, we are to understand, and we are to speak. We are to hear, we are to understand, and then to speak. I think we skip the first two steps most of the time, and there we are in the middle of a situation, and we simply speak. We haven't taken time to hear what God is saying, to understand his heart. And then to speak. You see, the spoken word is the vehicle that carries people. The right words bring people to God who loves them and has called them by his mercy and grace. And the wrong words can carry people away from God in wounding and deception. 
Yesterday I was at the Send, 90,000 people uh, enrolled. I know, it's exciting. It was awesome. And basically it was this. It was an entire generation in the church saying yes to carrying the word of God. But in the middle of it, I don't know why God, God, God begins to do these strange things in me. I got this stirring down in my heart like I'm supposed to leave the stadium. And I knew it was connected to today. And I actually wrestled with God most of the night about whether or not I would actually share this. And so I said, Lord, where do you want me to go? He says, there's a coffee shop across from the Pulse nightclub. I want you to go and sit there. Remember where the Pulse is, right? That's the place where someone went in and slaughtered uh, uh, all of these homosexuals and lesbians, you know? And, and, and now this whole place has become a, a memorial of their lives. I, I, I went to this place and I'm sitting there and I'm watching out the window. I'm the only one there, but I'm watching this whole scene unfold in this window of these people who are walking and reading the stories and they're weeping over the loss of life. And then it was like all of a sudden I could hear the voices of many Christians who in a harsh sound released judgment over that situation. As if that scene was God's judgment on their lifestyle. I was like, oh God, have mercy. It was like, it was like I'm sitting there and, and my heart began to break at some of the words that possibly had carried people away from God rather than to them as they're struggling in their identity, as they're struggling with going, I'm, I'm trying to define who I am, but many people just, just shut me out who are in the church. And, and by the way, uh, I, God is a holy God and he doesn't leave us the way he finds us, but he wants a church who would come with open and loving arms and say, you know, God, he, he, he sent his son so all of us could be changed. Maybe you're part, maybe you're part of that group that, that even in a, in a quick moment of error said, oh, well, you know, that was God's judgment on homosexuals and that kind of thing. I just want to let you know, if you, if you read the passage, if you read the passage in Corinthians about those who do not inherit the kingdom of God. Liars are in the same category. And so if you have trouble with lying, is God bringing a gunman to you? I, I aim to challenge you in the area of your words, not in holiness. God has called us to holiness. God has called us to righteousness, to be who God has created to be, created us to be, to love people into the kingdom, to preach the truth and allow the words of God to bring about the change that is necessary. This is why words matter. Don't allow your words to become vehicles that drive people away from God. Allow your words to be those words which the Father is speaking, where you understand his heart of grace and mercy. And then uh, but when believers 
speak the words that God is speaking, unbelievers then have an opportunity to speak the words that God is speaking. Because Romans chapter 10, it, it, it's, it's so clear. It says, how can they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You and I have to be those mouthpieces of God. Those people who hear, who understand, and then speak. He says, they'll believe. Some will reject, but others will receive. And God wants the unbeliever, those who are not in right relationship with God, to get his words, what he is saying about them on their mouth so they too can become sons and daughters of God. That's how it works. Most of you know this, but we don't realize that our words really matter. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, I want to let you know your words matter. And what you say to God matters. Romans 10 says it this way in verses 8 through 10. It says, when believers, you know, uh, it says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if, notice this, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be redeemed. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. Here's what, here's what God is saying. If you don't have a relationship with him and you don't, don't know what to say, here's what you need to say. Because God is saying this. He's saying, give your life to Jesus. Jesus has made the way. He's paid the price on the cross. He was buried and on the third day raised from the dead. And all who believe, place faith in him will be saved, rescued, changed by his grace and by his mercy. That's what God wants on the lips of every single person. If you're away from God, that's what God wants on your lips today. That's what God is saying in this moment. He's saying it's time to surrender your life in fullness to God. Let him make, make you the man or the woman he has called you to be. Why? Because behind his command is life. He loves you. And he wants to do something amazing through you. And we as believers are called to carry the gospel and I believe that God wants to make it really hard to go to hell in Citrus County. And it will be hard when we as the church say words matter. So God, I want to hear what you're saying. And I want to hear it and I want to understand it behind your heart. And Lord, now I want to say what you're saying so that the open reward of lives changed manifests everywhere. I want you to bow your heads.